Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. And uh, after last week's Genesis reading, we're going to get a nice swig of mouthwash and get that taste out of our mouths because we are here to talk about the first part of DC 1 million. So, this is a question we ask every week. Um, how much of DC 1 million have you guys read before this read through? Zach? Not a lot. I did. Um, I started it once and I honestly cannot remember how far I got. And I did not remember any of this when I started reading it again. So essentially nothing. What about you, Vince? I guess I would have read the <clears throat> Detective Comics issue, the Wonder Woman issue and the Resurrection Man issue of these. <laughs> <laughs> You had never read the event proper before? No, no. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's surprising to me. Yeah, this is like one... This and the JLA stuff is is like a Morrison blind spot for me. Okay. Uh, I have read... I had read the event maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. Just the trade of it. Um, and then I have reread the event a couple of times. I have read the Starman issue. I've read the the Shazam issue, and I think I might have read... I, I know I read the JLA issue, because that shows up in the trade. That might be all I've read, though. So, for all of us, this is this is relatively new ground in terms of the, the tie-ins. I'm really shocked you guys had not read the the, the trade before. That's, um, that's surprising to me. Anyway, no judgment, just, just curious. Uh, so, Vince, you're going to take us through this, so take us away. Okay, so the start of the event is uh, Kronos, number one million, um, written by J.F. Moore, art by J.H. Williams III, but not, not the J.H. Williams III that we know and love now, but the, you know, the, the early J.H. Williams stuff. Still good. It's not still bad. Good, you, you say that like it's going to be a disappointment. I think the issue still looks pretty good. Yeah, it lo- I think it looks really good, yeah. Um, okay, so we're introduced to what Metropolis is like in uh, the 853rd century, which is that it's built out in this extra-dimensional tesseract, they call it, while the rest of the Earth has kind of been allowed to grow over, you know, if it's not the major cities, the the plant life and wildlife has allowed to, to grow over kind of like the talking head song, nothing but flowers. Um, if this is paradise. I wish I had a lot more. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, and, uh, Superman is currently away in the fifth dimension and taking his place right now in Metropolis is, is John Fox, the flash of the DC 1 million world. And he's running around stopping crime and, uh, he gets an alert from this, Lois program, the logistical overseer integrated system. Love it. Um, that yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. This DC one million is loaded with little things like that. Yes. Uh, nice little touches like that. It's it's very Morrison in that way, and I feel like all these, I feel like a lot of the writers who were involved like were challenged to up their Morrison esque game. I think. <laughs> And maybe he came up with some of that stuff and threw it in there too. I who knows how those meetings. I would love to be a fly on the wall in those meetings. Um, Zach, you'll you'll probably be talking about what a team player 
Morrison is later, right? He's he's just the best. I mean, it probably won't come up as much in this, um, just because a lot of that stuff is in other parts of his JLA run. But yeah, just you know, comparing um, the way Morrison handled his Justice League and kind of just playing in uh, you know DC continuity rather than around it and in spite of it is just uh it's been very impressive to me uh reading through it yeah um all right so he gets this alert from the lowest system that says that uh the tesseract gates to metropolis are malfunctioning and uh since in, in this timeline that that is how people get in and out of the city that's a problem so he runs to check on it and he finds chronos the villain chronos there um, who has knocked everybody at the at the gateway station unconscious, and uh, he is there to steal John Fox's time gauntlets, which are some gauntlets he made uh, in the future to replace the function of the cosmic treadmill, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it's maybe worth noting. I think John Fox is the only member or the only character from like the one million universe that was pre-existing ah okay see i didn't know that yeah he showed up in the flash like maybe a year before this i actually checked i checked today and his first appearance was in flash special 90 or flash special number one which was in 1990 oh wow okay Mm. um yeah in the impulse issue it manages it mentions how he basically showed up and like because while he was off doing something, so he took his place, and how he basically falls in love with Iris and tries to uh, tries to mack at the Iris. Yeah, they do mention several times that like he's not really from the the one million. Like he's from the he's from some earlier century, right? But he's traveled back, and 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 they kind of make reference to him being um, someone that some of the heroes have met before. So I did kind of wonder about that, but I never looked into it. So that's yeah. good to know. Um, so, okay. Kronos leaves with the, with the gauntlets and uh, Kronos shows up at this bar and he's having a drink and it's kind of a funny, this bar, this like a uh, tavern section is really funny to me. It, it was a really nice bit of writing, I think, because, um, Kronos is having a drink and talking to somebody and the drink is constantly changing and the, and the person, person he, yeah. <laughs> the person he's talking to is changing too. And the conversation just meld, you know, each conversation melds into one another. And it's because he says, well, like when you're messing around with time, it's it causes massive distortions. And also it's the chrono. There's a temporal parasite called the chronovore that is causing these distortions in time and reality. And it ends up, it ends up shifting the very moment that he's in. And uh, that's that's kind of a neat little scene. Yeah, um, I believe well, he picks that that like time because it's a chronal like mess essentially. So he, he feels like people won't follow him because it is a time that would be hard for them to follow him into. Yeah. 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 Other other fun note, I don't I don't think the Chronovore shows up over the course of DC 1 million, I end up being mistaken, but I don't, I don't think it does. But Morrison does tell the story of the Chronovore in All-Star Superman. Mm, yes. yes. 
Yeah, I, I think the Chronovore gets mentioned a couple times throughout DC One Million, but I don't. I'm not sure how. I know I've I've seen it mentioned once or twice again during during these uh, tie-in issues, but um, anyway, uh, the other fun thing about the bar is that Ambush Bug is the bartender mm-hmm. there. Um, Vince's favorite character, my Ambush Bug. Favorite, oh, my favorite character. Yep, yep. Um, and uh, and there's a, there's a fun little bit. So so John Fox ends up finding Kronos there. And how did he do that without the time gauntlets, but riding a time sphere from the Legion of Superheroes? And you can see Brainiac 5 and Coco there, like, admire it. What does he say? This is a cherry ride or something like that? (laughs) Yeah. This is a funny issue, I think. Like, this was really enjoyable. Um, You get a lot of more. It's got that, like, Morrison sense of humor, even though it wasn't Morrison writing it. And it's got a lot of those little, like, references and tie-ins to the greater DC narrative that I think a lot of writers just don't pack their stories with that stuff, you know, and this has a lot of that. So, um, so anyway, uh, John Fox is asking for the gauntlets back. Kronos has this like puzzle box. He has to open up to get the gauntlets back in the meantime, scourge, uh, from war world shows up demanding to take the, to have the gauntlets. Um, He's been led here on purpose by by Kronos possessing the the gauntlets, but then Kronos passes them off to Fox, so it kind of turns Scourge on him. Um, Scourge drains the kinetic energy from the Flash and ends up destroying the time sphere that he came in. So Kronos, at the last second, whisks John Fox away to escape from Scourge, um, and they end up in late 60s London watching the uh, Beatles rooftop concert at the the Apple Studios headquarters. And um, this was Brian's favorite part of the issue, I'm sure. Of course it was. I I, I like how uh, notoriously blind John Lennon looks across (laughs) a a, a street and is like, isn't that that bloke from Hamburg or whatever he says? Like, uh, yeah. And then Paul says, I've been thinking about having a strange yank with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, he does He does use the phrase strange yank, which is... Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, also, yeah. j- just to note, uh, beat the Beatles. So there we go. <laughs> beat the Beatles. One of the greatest newspaper headlines. Absolutely. Of all time. In the Newspaper Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Scourge ends up getting his hands on the time gauntlets but he ends up using them and disappearing and reappearing in front of Kronos uh, and John Fox. Turns out Kronos had reprogrammed the gauntlets to get him stuck in this loop. Um, Wait, Fox did that or Kronos did that? Kronos did that. Okay, sorry, I misheard. Yep, yeah, Kronos did that. Um, so Kronos <laughs> ends up stranding John Fox there. And the thing that I like about Kronos, Kronos has a has a... Uh, actually has a personality and even though he's called a snake and referred to as a villain he does these little things that are not villainous along the way and so like you're, you're left to still wonder about his intentions i think um because he he leaves fox there and fox is like well how am i going to get out of here without my gauntlets i have no ability to time travel or whatever well chronos put a call into the justice legion and our man comes and picks him up Then we see Kronos on Chronopolis, um, which is apparently his home. 
Uh, it's a place that's immune from the passage of time, they say. Um, and turns out that Kronos actually has the real time gauntlets there. He gave the Scourge some like fake ass duplicates that he made up. Um, and then you also see a glimpse of Solaris here. Uh, talks about you know how he rules the future where the original Justice League are, tra are trapped. So that's something we're going to see. So it talks about that in this issue, but that's something that actually happens over the course of the early part of this event. Um, you, you, so Our Man came to pick John Fox up, as I had mentioned. He possesses the Whirligog, which is the, the, the uh, device that allows him to master time and space. Um, also a, uh, introduced yep. in that in that Morrison Rock of Ages arc, which I keep harping about every episode and is really, <laughs> really good. Um, and everybody should read it. Yep, I was gonna say that's a that's a Morrison, that's a Morrison bit right there. Yes. Um, and and we'll and we'll sort of not shockingly play a very important role in the Hour Man ongoing as well. Mm. And then, uh, and then the issue ends with Chronos uh, doing a sort of mini monologue about how. Um, we're all massive players in a struggle that's been going on since the dawn of time. And I'm looking to change the rules or whatever, leaving you to again, like wonder what his intentions or his motivations are through all this. So, so I like him as a character and I think like, I like the mystery surrounding him. I don't know much about him aside from this issue so far. And he doesn't show up in at least the first part of the, the event that we've read so far for tonight's show. So uh, I, I kind of like that right now. I don't really know what to think of, of this Kronos. Yeah. Um, and we should also say that, you know, the name Kronos is a, is a, a very well established one in DC, but this Kronos does not seem like the Kronos we've ever seen before. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so anything else about this issue? What do you guys think of it as like a, a kickoff to this event? I, I think it's good because it introduces kind of the status quo of the 853rd century. Um, you get a little bit of foreshadowing about some stuff that's going to happen in the event. Um, the art is good. The writing is good. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a good kind of prologue issue. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, um, you know, it's a little bit odd to start this event, which is a huge DC event, to start it with characters that are very much on the fringes. Like, it, it's you would think they'd start with a Superman issue or a Flash issue or something that's maybe a little bit more accessible to a, a either a seasoned comic reader or a new comic reader that is that would recognize the name. Like, I don't think anyone... There's probably zero people who picked this issue up who weren't already DC one million like who weren't already excited about the event. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's kind yeah, of weird in that I, way. And you could also like I we're reading it as a prologue because that's like the recommended reading order. Um, but this is totally something that you could pick up later, or you know you could read the first issue of DC one million and come back to this later. And it's not it's not like. This is the official prologue. I, right. I don't think. Right. That's right. not my no, impression of it. Especially since at the end, um, 
it does spoil the events of DC One Million Number One a little bit. Mm. Yeah, um, although it does look like it did come out before DC One Million. Yeah, number one. Yeah, so I, I'm uh, sure the premise was well known. I'm sure you know. Yeah. You you knew what was going to happen to the JLA and the and the Justice Legion ahead of time. Because at this actually, that, it, oh go oh, ahead, sorry. go ahead. I was going to say I, I may not be right about that. Comics Comicsology may have its dates wrong. Okay. Um, but well, we continue. Whether it is or not, it is. It's not just some dude on the internet's reading order for this. It's actually DC's preferred reading order. If you go through there, if you go through right. Unlimited, it's how they present it. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, Although, it's, like, it's like the official reading order now. Yeah. But sometimes those things get released out of order when they're coming out, and that that gets put together later. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, sure. For sure. I do want to say though, there are there are multiple ways to read this on DC Universe. There is like, there's the D, there's an event page, there's a like reading guide page, but the reading guide page eliminates the Starman issue, and the event page eliminates what is it the Young Heroes, the Young Heroes and Love, the Heroes yeah. and Love issue. So there's not like one perfect place to read all of this, um, but all of it yeah. is on DC Universe. And if almost you, none of them include the eighty-page giant either. Right. Um, yeah. Which um, I don't know if you guys have looked through that, but it has some gems in it, and I think we'll definitely <laughs> want to talk to talk about it at the at the very, very end. I think is that part of our reading order that we've been it's, going by? It's not. I don't think it's so. not. But should we read it at the end? I think I think it should be read at the end. It came out last. It I came believe. out late. Yeah. Yeah. Is Young Heroes right. in Love on our list too? It is. It is okay. Yes, I think okay. it is. Yeah. It yeah, is. I think everything, okay. everything except for um, the eighty-page giant and then the Booster Gold issue, which was part of Jeff Johns' Booster Gold run. Okay. You know, almost a decade later. So, is that on DC Universe? I'm sure it is. Okay. Um, yeah. but it doesn't really tie into this. You know, right. it was, it was more like a, just kind of like fun thing yeah mm-hmm. yeah all right all right so dc one million issue number one this is where the gabagool starts <laughs> um written by grant morrison art by val Simiex. yeah a Does name you don't that? a name you don't hear very often what happened to this guy because i like this art a lot I'm looking yeah, at Keep talking. I, I don't know. The only other thing that I've ever seen from him is um, he did a JLA Wildcats crossover that Morrison also wrote. Mm, interesting. I'll, I'll have to check that out. He's older I mean, I, than you'd have thought. Like he was <laughs> he was in his 40s when he was drawing this. OK. Um, which does not make him old, but just like for a name you don't really associate with much before that or after that. It's odd. So apparently he had a, ru- a long run on Conan the Barbarian, Conan rather, uh, and then the Demon and Lobo. Okay. And let's see. After this, he did two issues of with Dwayne McDuffie for Legends of the Dark Knight. He wrapped up the second volume of The Flash. He was part of Marvel's Web of Spider-Man relaunch in 2009. I don't remember that at all. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever the case, I think Sorry. I think not only no, that's okay. That's all right. I think not only is he a really good artist in his own right, but this is a pretty good fit with the Howard Porter 
uh, stuff that he was doing on JLA with Morrison. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I, it doesn't look exactly like Porter, but there are similarities. It It is c- pretty close to this era of Porter, which is a lot different than, than what modern Porter. Of. Yeah, it, it is a lot different, it, but it is consistent, I think, with this uh, this era of kind of like DC's recognizable style. Yeah, I think I don't want to say like house style, but it, it is that vein. Yeah. I think if you if you don't pay attention to like who artists are, don't really follow that type of thing, you could easily be tricked into thinking these are the same, that it was the same person drawing these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's 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 pretty consistent. Okay, so anyway, this issue starts, and uh, the 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 it's kind of told um, in a mixed up chronology because it began the prologue of this issue begins on the third day, and we see. Uh, Zariel and Plastic Man getting a, in the watchtower, getting a transmission from Martian Manhunter, and it's John Jones announcing a million people have died uh, in Montevideo, uh, city in Uruguay, mm-hmm. capital capital of Uruguay. I believe it's Montevideo. Is it? I believe I'm, so. I, I'm pronouncing it the South Dakota <laughs> way. <laughs> There's a is there anyway? A, is there one in South Dakota? There is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe it's Western Minnesota. I don't know. But anyway, um, anyway, uh, it's it's announcing that this you know tragic thing has happened uh, in Uruguay, and then we go back to the first day, and so on the first day, um, you see the Justice Legion. Well, you no, you see the J, the JLA uh, in the Watchtower um, discussing that the Justice Legion A from the 853rd century are there and what they're going to do about that and whether they can trust them or not, all that kind of stuff. Um, they bring them in. Kyle scans them. They ask him some questions. Um, and it turns out that they're there to honor they want to honor superman and superman's friends basically by bringing them back to the 853rd century to perform like feats of strength and stuff for basically this is the plot (laughs) this is the plot of three amigos (laughs) yeah exactly like Hey, we're we're really in awe of you guys, and and we want you to come back, and everybody will love it if you came yeah. back. Well, and, and the reason they want to come back is that Superman has been living in the sun for thousands of years. The, the our Superman, the Kal El, has been living in the sun for all these years, and is going to return to Earth after leaving the sun. And mm-hmm. so that is what the festival is celebrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. And uh, of course, Superman is pretty shocked to find out that he is still alive living in the sun. <laughs> um, we see Nightwing drop in then uh, on just some criminals in the street while he's talking to to Babs, uh, who's Oracle at this point. And Oracle is kind of a, a, a narrative through line uh, through a lot of One Million so far. Yeah, she she's a Justice League member at this point. Oh, are they, um, do they call her a Justice League? No, member? yeah, she, she's like officially part of the league at, at this point in Morrison's JLA, which is very cool. 
Um, the league is very cool at this point. Like, in, uh, uh, aside from the kind of big seven um, characters, Oracle, Plastic Man, Huntress, Zoriel, Big Barda, Steel, and Orion are all on the team. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great yeah. team. Um, so they, they talk a little, um, they talk about how Roy is trying to get the Titans going again, um, which that will pop up again by the end of this issue. Um, and so the Justice Legion is explaining to the JLA that they want to take him away for this celebration, that they'll seemingly only be gone a few moments. So it's very, very like, uh, you know, Matt Fraction's, Matt Fraction's FF, FF yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's that exact same concept. We're like, you're only going to be gone for like four seconds. We will be here to watch the Earth. For <laughs> it's the, actually you know, the exact thing. Yeah, it is the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing will go wrong, right? Um, so the JLA agrees to go, um, <laughs> except for John Jones and a, and a few others, of course. Like nobody needs to see Plastic Man, right? So Batman. Uh, Batman doesn't want to go. Batman doesn't, but there is an amazing... <laughs> the way that that plays out is amazing. Um, actually, it's just about to happen here. So there's a really nice thing scene here, I think, where on the second day, Huntress is questioning Batman about why... She's saying, why am I a member of the JLA? You don't agree with my methods. We don't really get along. We, I mean, I'm part of the extended Bat family, but we don't. I'm not your favorite, you know? And he just says something like, you're here to replace Wally, who's dead. <laughs> you know, like very in that typical callous, like Batman fashion, you know. Um, and uh, while, this, while this happens, the future Batman shows up and confronts uh, Batman saying like, hey, you got to you need to go to uh, the 853rd century with the rest of the heroes and if you won't, I'm going to telepathically kick you to knock you out and then steal your spirit. <laughs> and, and he literally steals Bruce's soul so that he can send Bruce's soul into the future, um, which is just there's a there's a, a verbatim line from Morrison that I'll read later. That's my favorite Morrison line from this thing. But that is the most like Morrison moment of this, I think. Um, yeah, it's good. It's really good. Yeah, just him, like, kicking Bruce's ass and explaining to him what he's doing and then stealing his soul in a little glass vial. I'm this sorry. is, like, a very Morrisonian thing where, where, like, the glass vial, like, electronically, you know, says psychoelectricity field integrity stable, and then Batman just says spirit in the bottle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I, yep. Is, I, I'm looking at my notes here for this issue, and I realize I forgot to say one thing about the last issue. I'm sorry. I just want to make this one oh, note. There's there was one part that I felt was really tone deaf, which is that they're talking about the different events on the world, um, like in the in the 853rd century, and one of them is a Bizarro Pride event. Oh yeah. yeah. That was kind of weird. And I just feel like that's, you know, if you try and work out the implications of that, it's not great. That's all I want to say. Sorry. No, there's one or two other moments that we'll talk about coming up, too, that that are like that. And I think, like, if you're being charitable to to Morrison, you can see what he's going for. Yes. (laughs) But, yeah. But, you know, yeah. (laughs) Right. What you said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so 
So uh, everybody's preparing to leave for the future. And I really like how I like how the heroes in this story, uh, the, mo- the current Justice League, are really excited about learning about the future. Like there's a real like electricity that kind of flows through this issue about how excited the heroes are to see what the future holds. And I think that that Morrison really gets that across well. Like, these heroes have seen all kinds of crazy things over their careers, right? But the idea that something, you know, a million years in the future is going to be entirely new to them is something that 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 really comes across, even though they're all costume superheroes, you know? Yes. Um, I think that's really well done. Um, so anyway, they're talking, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's some jokes about Uranus. Um, Zach, there, there you were... are a number of jokes about Uranus. Yeah, Zach was yeah, giggling we're gonna, in the last we're gonna chat find about out. that. Starman is really upset about orbiting Uranus for so long. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we're so mature. Um, okay, so then... Um, oh, go, what were you going to say? Sorry. No, no I won't. I, n- no, never mind. Nah. <laughs> uh, uh, are you sure? I'll give you a second. You want to... You wanna... No, it's okay. It's okay. Is it, it going to be a problem? Okay. No, it's not a problem. Is it going to be it's our okay. stinger? No. Okay. Um, all right. So then, so then, uh, Super- Superman A is talking to the current Superman about take his fighting the Chronovore with the Superman Squad, which are these various eras of. So, you know, a lot of these heroes over the course of the future come and go, and some some have their mantle passed down through time. Others. The mantle never gets passed down. Uh, there is no Earth Green Lantern ring anyway in the the 853rd century, and they don't really know why. They don't know what happened along the way that there's no Green Lantern. Um, but Superman throughout the years, the various eras of Superman have apparently come together many times to take on enemies or whatever, and, and Alpha Superman here is kind of telling Clark about that. And it's where... This is where my favorite Morrison quote so far of this event is. And it's 10 completely new senses entered our bloodline when the Superman of the 67th century married Gesintpulsik, the queen of the fifth dimension. Yep. <laughs> Best Morrison line of this thing so far. Um, so then we see the Titans again, uh, who, you know, Roy was mentioned earlier. He's trying to get the Titans back together. We see Roy, uh, Tempest, Jesse Quick. and Jesse Quick and Supergirl investigating a Russian arms deal for these Rocket Red war suits. And who is there but Vandal Savage, who's looking to buy them all? Um, this also contains some very good Morrisonian stuff about Vandal Savage and him being like a, a wine enthusiast. Yes. Uh, he can tell a wine's vintage just by the sound of its pour. Uh, which is great. <laughs> um, so anyway, the, the Titans spring out into action and Vandal Savage kicks their ass, basically. Um, he's got like a perfect plan to take down each one of them. And he shoves them into uh, the Rocket Red suits, um, which are basically like mini, mini nuclear devices at this point. Um uh, with the JLA, they are departing for the future. 
they're going to their respective planets. Every member of the Justice Legion, A, is responsible for a different planet. And so they kind of go to their corresponding planets based on who their corresponding Justice Legion member is. Um, I At one point, Wonder Woman is like, oh, I'm not surprised Batman didn't make the make the trip but he's right there but really it's his soul so like you're not you're not really paying attention you might think that that was a mistake but none of them can see batman's soul i guess right yeah batman future batman batman a like zaps him into the world of gog right at the last second right um (laughs) it's just really weird (laughs) it's such a weird concept but oh yeah um, yeah um and then so so they depart immediately shit goes bad in the current timeline. Um, John Jones is saying, you know, our man, bring them back now. They must be done. Right. (laughs) And, but our man is like malfunctioning. He's detecting a virus invasion. He says something about autoimmune failure. He's basically shorting out. And uh, Zariel Steele, the rest of the JLA that's left at the watchtower, decide to shut everything down and figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, uh, Vandal Savage is on Mars unearthing something called the Night Fragment and uh, talking about boasting about how the JLA is going to be caught in the future, the Justice Legion's caught in the past, and it's everything's prime for him to take over. Meanwhile, Solaris is there vowing to bring the end of Superman about and take his rightful place. He's the second son that Kal-El lives in. Um, he, his rightful place uh, as the main son of the future, right? And that's the end of issue one. So it's, it's a, a lot on first issue. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, this event is already like, I mean, I'm a huge Morrison mark, right? But there's a reason for that, right? Like, it's because of how bonkers this all is compared to something like Genesis. Like we read last week where there's like, I'm sorry, so little imagination going on. Um, this is just nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's really good. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I mean, it's going to, it's, it's, it's going to stay good, at least as far as we've read. Um, you know, we're going to get we're going to talk about the second issue next and then get into some of the tie ins, which um, are, are kind of fluffy in some ways, but enjoyable. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that for sure. Yeah, I we, we will talk about it. I don't think there was a true stinker in the bunch. And I now I, I do think it was weird how some felt significantly more important than others, but. I, I guess well, that always happens. Maybe you'll agree or disagree with this, but I kind of felt like, you know, we get a run of like three Superman issues and a run of three Batman issues, and they all kind of effectively do the same thing. You know, they're they're telling small bits of one story, yeah. um, and and you can almost kind of like lump them together, um, in a way that kind of actually does sort of make them important. Um, some are definitely a lot more important, like Starman and um, the JLA issue, which is written by Morrison uh, that we're going to close out with. But um, even in, uh, in general, I think the tie-ins for this are pretty good. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else about issue one before we move on to issue two? No, I mean, you know, my my biggest note for this was just that what I love about this issue is that it introduces the concept of the crossover, but it doesn't spend all of its time setting up dominoes that other things are going to knock down. It's it's also telling, it's also giving a lot of really interesting detail, and it's um it's telling something that is that is definitely hmm. It's definitely the start of something, but it doesn't feel as empty as the start of a lot of events feel, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of layers to it, especially when you also fold in the Kronos issue, because kind of like what I mentioned before, we don't see Kronos in this first third of the event that we read again. And so that leaves something lingering there that you think might come back. Meanwhile, they've introduced both Vandal Savage and Solaris as major villains in this thing. And that's, you know, how much time they spend setting up the concept of the heroes going to the future and the future heroes staying behind. You're right, Brian. It's filled with such rich detail. It's not something that, you know, there's a lot of lead up to it. There's a lot of build up, and it's kind of that excitement that I mentioned. Like, you instead of it just being another day in these heroes' lives, Morrison makes it feel like a really momentous occasion for these characters who have already seen everything there is to see in the world, you know? Yes. Um, I think that's so well done. Yeah, I felt like this was, even though this is totally removed from what the rest of the DC Universe was doing at the time, I feel like there are so many elements of that outside DC Universe that you just kind of feel in this. I don't know how Morrison does that because there's not references to a ton of other stuff, but it it feels very much like a part of the universe that you're used to reading, right? That the other DC books are are inhabiting, but it's also it's very much its own thing. I feel like some of these events feel like they are they stick out like a sore thumb from what's going on in the world, and this doesn't. This feels absolutely at peace with that, and it's uh, it's just it's it's just like 400 Italian chef kiss emojis lined up in a row. <laughs> yeah. Zach, anything to add? No, I'm good. All right. Okay, issue two. So we begin again on the third day. Uh, now we see Blue Beetle scanning the wreckage, the wreckage in Uruguay uh, that we saw uh, in the first issue. Um, and you also see at this point the Justice Legion Ace show up to the wreckage uh, basically saying, you know, God, God help whoever did this or whatever. Um, and their thinking is that Solaris sent this virus through time, through our man's programming. Um, his time powers are overridden at this point, so they can't get back. Uh, Superman from the future keeps uh, talking about how his powers are weakening the longer he's away from the future because Earth's sun doesn't keep his powers going the same way. Um, and basically, uh, uh, the, the future Aquaman explain, is, explains the concept of Solaris and what his goals are and everything to Martian Manhunter. So basically, they catch the remaining members of the JLA up to speed at this point about the threat they may be dealing with. Um Let's see. At this point, the JLA is holed up in the Watchtower because 
they haven't been affected by the Hourman virus yet. Barda and Steel, uh, Plastic Man. Um, whereas basically at this point, we find out everybody on, everybody on Earth has been affected by the Hourman virus. Um, so, you know, through throughout this issue and some of the tie-ins, we're going to see various characters with this uh, black sort of digital-looking... Uh, kind of like webbing across their like faces and their skin. It almost it, looks like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Vince. When, no. When the Eclipso virus takes over somebody. Yeah. And there's like that, that um, marking over their eye where if you didn't know what it was, you would think, oh, what's that weird thing on their eye? There was this sort of like weird digital spider webbing on their face. Yeah. It's meant, it's definitely meant to look like a, like a data web or something like a, like a chip, like a computer chip, uh, you know, s- whatever you call that stuff, the little contacts and things. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And turns out everybody on Earth is affected by it. And it at this point, it what we know about it is that it 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 makes people rage. Basically, it turns them mad, slowly drives them insane, and they all they become like heightened versions of themselves to the point of uh, you know chaos. <clears throat> okay, at this point, there's another one of those like weird moments I, that Brian you mentioned earlier. I think uh, Plastic Man says, "Because Steel, Steel is planning on leaving the Watchtower," and Plastic Man says, "The only black member of the JLA can't quit. That's the rule." <laughs> which, which I, which is a commentary about how there's only one token black character yeah. on these teams, and, and it's Plastic Man saying it too, which. I think, right? Give there. I think there's. You can have a a more generous read there because Plastic Man is kind of like a insensitive character, right? right. Um, and like John's response is really good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, but it is weird. <laughs> it, it 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 is just like oh, that's you know, I like I I totally get what they're going for there. It's it's a commentary, and it and it's right. You know, it's true that like, yeah, there tends to only be one main black character on the JLA, at least you know historically. And uh, and that's kind of a meta commentary there, which you know, I agree with. But of course, yeah, the way that the way that the it's just worded in a, in a <laughs> very in a much not is. great way, but again, like coming from but again, the glass mouth. Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so then, at this point, um, the Adam contacts Oracle. Uh, he goes into her bloodstream and uh, quite profusively hits on her during this point. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, Saying he's, something he's like apparently nice, nice single blood and, vessels. Yeah, single and ready to mingle. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a simp. Um, yeah, he is He is simping for the white blood cells of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of, of Barbara Gordon, yeah. Yeah. So he goes into her bloodstream I to mean, invest... Who, who wouldn't, though? Who would? I, mm, now, now, this was the weird insensitive... Or not insensitive, but like the kind of cringy thing to me. Because um, that's not Adam. really what lymphocytes look like? No. Yes, exactly. No. Let me uh, let me find it. Oh, uh, Adam says I can't help flirting with girls who wear glasses. I'm from a college town, yeah. which I I know that he's like supposed to be a teenager at this point, or I think he still is. Uh, or is he not? Probably, he, is he in? Is he? 
Well, so this is in Genesis. He's a teenager, but I don't think there's anything about the way that he's presented here that makes you think teenager. Right, right. Which like just reads like creepy college professor to me. That that line. This was the thing that I was like, a collar tug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, he's investigating the virus in her bloodstream, and he, uh, you know, basically reports back what he finds. Um, meanwhile, we see Firestorm and the Ray trying to go after the Justice Legion because uh, Firestorm, hothead that he is, thinks that, the, you know, the Justice League Legion are villains who came from the future and brought this virus and that... It's their fault that everybody's affected. And that's kind of a running theme for a while in, in this um, event that, uh, you know, both the mixture of this strange other that all of a sudden showed up in the current timeline and also the effects of the virus uh, that it's having on people's moods and demeanor are, are kind of creating this stew of civil unrest against the, the Justice Legion at this point. And so that is something that they have to combat in addition to the actual threat uh, ahead of them. So it's it's kind of, you know, it's the classic, like, the the people of Earth are given a reason to mistrust the, the heroes, right? Um, so anyway, uh, you know, Firestorm comes in all hot-headed, and the future Aquaman and Superman stops them, Um uh, they stop them by, you know, using their powers. Ray ends up in a water prison. Um, and all of this is done in front of the public, which gives them even more reason to distrust them. So it's kind of a feedback cycle that's feeding on itself there. Um, Martian Manhunter drops in, tells everybody to stop fighting. Uh, and then we go to the vanishing point where we see Matthew Ryder, the linear men. And they are kind of, I don't know, I guess they're kind of investigating what's going on with the time stream right now. This part was very, very confusing to me. This was the most confusing part of the issue, I think. It's also weird that this is designated as the start of Chapter 2 of the yeah. issue. Yes. Yeah. Um, when the last issue did not much sense. Yeah. The last issue didn't have that convention at all in it, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. Um. Yeah, so I I, I kind of think what it's supposed to be, and I I kind of chalk it up to you know we're only a third of the way through the event, so if we don't quite understand the context for this scene, maybe it's coming. Mm-hmm. But my read on it was that it seems like the you know the linear men would be the ones who are investigating time anomalies, and they say something about how. Gog killed Superman in the 21st century, so how could he be alive? Yeah, that that I wanted to talk about that because they mentioned the kingdom, which is which is the yeah the Go Mark Wade follow up to Kingdom Come. Yeah, which it seems like it's referencing that that came out around the same time as this. Uh, I think that, no, that was later. Well, I, it was around. I mean, I mean, relatively like within. It it looks like it came out december 98 so uh no i don't think so i'm on wikipedia right now really that early yeah huh i thought it was like a couple years after that oh you know what no well, there it's was... a, it says i think cover dated was maybe well 
I don't know. No, you don't have it to. It says go... publication date December '98, but then it also says multiple one shots published in '99. There was there was a secondary Magog event a few years later. I'm sorry, I'm You're confused. Thinking of Thy Kingdom Come. Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. My bad. Um. So yeah, I think maybe it's referencing that. Um. But I also think I may be just confused because I don't have I don't know like what the linear men status quo is here. Like it's referencing Matthew Ryder and Wave Ryder. Like they're two different people. Um. That's gotta be I. That's gotta be something that happened in a different book that. That I just yeah. don't know. You know. Same. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I th- so I think like I chalked up my, you know, misunderstanding of this to just not being familiar with these characters. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think the I think the basic point is that there's timey wimey shit going on, and they're they're detecting it. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, we also see. Uh, General Eiling talking to who's the president, probably Bill Clinton, but you don't get a good look at him this time. Um, uh, unlike in the last issue where he uh, where he basically te- says, you know, I feel your pain and eats a McNug- eats a uh, <laughs> breakfast sandwich at McDonald's while Secret Service watches. <laughs> Where's that Starfire? <laughs> get her in here. Uh <laughs> Sorry, that's two episodes in a row. I get to do my Clinton. That's just true. Uh, <laughs> Let's make it three in a row next week, baby. Yeah, I'm gonna try to. Actually, that'll be a thing. I'm gonna try to do it in every episode now. Okay. That's a new running joke. That's a, okay, cool. We've got to make... get rid of some of our old ones, like Arrested Development quotes and things, and yeah, just in with the new. Um. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um. Uh. So General Eiling loses contact with 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 uh, Bubba and uh, Vandal Savage appears on the screen. And this is basically Vandal Savage uh, putting the threat out that he's bombing earth. And actually when, when, when Uruguay got hit, he was aiming for Washington DC is what he reveals. And so uh, now you've got the justice Legion having to spring into action to stop uh, the, all the bombings that are going to happen with these rocket red um, nukes that are flying around the earth. Um, and you also have, so as I said before that uh, Vandal shoved the Titans characters into these rocket red suits. And um, in the, at the end of this issue, he blasts them off at earth. Uh, so that's what he's talking about when he's saying that, you know, I'm, I'm bombing the earth. And uh, (laughs) we talked about a Hitler quote from Catwoman last week in the Genesis event. Uh, There's a quote that (laughs) Vandal Savage says he gave to Hitler in this issue, which I think, you know, that's (laughs) Vandal Savage saying he gave Hitler a quote um, is, I think, more appropriate than Catwoman saying uh i'm gonna i'm gonna take a little page from hitler here <laughs> right well vandal um, savage is also like he's he's a notorious motherfucker yeah right? so it's very different right, right. yeah he tried I mean, to do the mona lisa exactly yeah <laughs> oh buddy they won't even let me <laughs> make that joke again yeah you gotta you have to it's sitting right there 
Can't leave that hanging. And that's the issue. So the the, the Titans are all flying off in their nukes. Um, May anything to say about? Be... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Go ahead. What I was going to say after we finish this, we should take a break before we get into the tie-ins. Yeah. Let's take a break. Yeah. But is there anything you, you want to say before that? Uh, I'm good. Anything you guys want to say about that second issue? I think you know it's it's shorter than the first issue. First of all, um, I think less happens in it, but it's still very good. It it, it shows you. Uh, what's going on with more of Earth superheroes as far as like Firestorm is concerned? Um, it, it gives you more of like the pe- people of Earth perspective on all of this stuff that's going on, so that doesn't get lost in the lost in everything, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the first issue maybe sticks with you a little bit more because it's a little bit more bombastic. But this mm-hmm. really continues the. This continues everything the first issue sets up, and after you read the tie-ins, a lot of the second issue means a lot more. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's a good point. Zach, anything else? Mm-mm. All right. Let's take a break. We'll be back. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And uh, we are back. So, Vincey, take us through the uh, the tie-ins. All right. So, to do the tie-ins, conveniently, the Superman tie-ins and the Batman tie-ins are kind of lumped together as far as reading order is concerned. So, I think we're going to do... Let's start with the Superman tie-ins, and we'll do all three right off the bat here, lumped together. Uh, Man of Steel, number one million, uh, written by Jerry Ordway, art by or written by Jerry Ordway and Carl Kiesel, art by Anthony Williams. Uh, we got Superman one million, which is Abnett and Lanning writing, and art from Norm Bra- uh, Brayfogle. And then we've got Superboy, which is written by Carl Kiesel and art by the the great, you know, favorite of the show, Tom Grummet. Yeah. Um, so basically what the Superman tie-in, tie-in books amount to is the Justice Legion Superman flying around gathering materials because the in order to defeat, reverse the effects of the uh, Our Man virus and uh, save everybody – they need to rebuild Solaris, even though Solaris is going to end up being the thing that is the villain of this event. They have to they have to build him in the present time, and to do that, they need all all this different technology that probably only the superheroes or the secret government agencies like Cadmus possess at this point. So he's flying around um, getting these items. It's basically a fetch quest, right? Right, Zach? Um, yeah, yeah, it essentially is. And it's funny that we're going to find out Superman and Batman are, are essentially doing this concurrently without 
communicating to each other, it seems. Um, yeah, but finding exactly what they need. Yes. Yeah. They're just a good team, that's all. Um, so in the Man of Steel issue, uh, Superman ends up butting up against the Metal Men. Um, so they're kind of the big featured guests of this thing. It's kind of it's kind of fun. Um, and I forget which artifact he gets from this one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. At the end of the issue, he ends up riding one of the Rocket Red suits, like uh, T.J. King Kong from from Doctor Strangelove. Uh, and that's the other the other thing that goes through these early tie-ins is the fact that the Titans are flying around in these. Uh, rocket red suits and the heroes have to not only rescue them from the suits but prevent the the nukes that are in the suits from going off right so so that also happens throughout these things um in the superman issue that's kind of where lex lex luther gets involved uh <laughs> superman almost shows lex and his people where the fortress of solitude is but yeah. uh, ends up yeah <laughs> They try to blast their way in. He ends up uh, erasing their their memories, though. So so no harm, no foul there. Um, and then the Superboy issue is pretty bonkers. Can, can um, I just say, like, the Superboy issue is everything I want out of a weird, uh, out of a weird tie-in. Like, <laughs> yes. it, it brings Kirby into it. It has some cool, like, the credits are all rendered really interestingly. It just, yeah. it's everything about the package is really great. It's a big old love letter to Kirby, and I, I think that's a great reason to have Tom Grummet do the art too. But he's just so good. I'm just blown away again at just how how good Grummet is. I, I never knew that going through this uh, DC event read through that I would come out the other end with like Tom Grummet as the best thing about all of this. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is really good, and. Um... Also, one of the only one of the tie-ins that we read for this that takes place a significant amount of time in the future. Um, one of the Batman issues does a little bit, but it's not good, I think. I think it's like one of the worst tie-ins. That's, that's the worst one so far, yeah. Uh, um, whereas this is just very good. The one million Superboy clones that are all, like pure Kirby energy is, is well, very good. They're also yeah. like kind of Omax. Well, yeah, one's yes. an old man. Yeah, they are. You know, um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, but the point of that that part is that like S Superman needs some tech from Cadmus um, to build his thing. Um, so Su Superboy at this point is like the um, what do they call him? They call him like the field agent of Cadmus or something. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so he ends up running into the future Superman and there's some timey-wimey stuff because like in the future uh Million X, who's double X, just a million right, a million years in the future, just fantastic, is like reaching back in time at the same time as uh Superman is reaching into the future. And it creates this weird vortex that Superboy gets caught in. Well, it's all very, it's very bonkers. Yeah, we we should mention that uh, not only is it like this weird time vortex, but they're using the time vortex because the Guardian was frozen in 
in oh, yeah. ice for you know eight, eight, eighty three however many millennia you know for eight hundred and twelve millennia whatever it is and uh, and they thaw him out and they basically like shoot through his brain <laughs> and look into the look into the past because they're able because of this yeah um, because because he can't remember any of this stuff himself but. They say something like, "Well, just because you can't remember it doesn't mean the memories aren't in there." <laughs> and then he's, right, yeah. they're like probing yeah. his mind, and and even to the point where like Million X is like, "I can also see things that you didn't see or weren't present for or don't remember." And it's <laughs> yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, which and it's comics, so who cares? You know, like yeah, they, exactly. Yes. Okay, here's the difference between and again we're referencing last week's uh, Genesis quite a lot, but um, the difference between Genesis trying to do science and this is that like. Genesis actually tries to make it make sense when it doesn't. And they spend right. too much time doing that. Whereas this just blows right on past it. It's yeah. just like, it's like, this is how it is. And you got to accept it. And we do. Um, but I, you know, I think these, yeah, these issues are fetch quests, but they're, they're actually, they feel important. Each step along the way, feels like something that the Superman from the future needs to accomplish. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing repeated a few different times, but I think it's, I think it's really well done. It's not like, it's not like the, you know, like how uh, we always rag on this, but like the year of the villain stuff where you see the same page of Lex Luthor showing up and offering something to a villain. Now these are like, dis- these are three distinctly different issues that just happen to have similar end goals. But like a lot of different stuff actually happens in them. They're not, they have their own stories. They're not just there to service the, the 1 million stuff. Yeah. It's really good. And like the Superman 1 million character is really great because he, he has like all of these ridiculous powers, but he's slowly losing them. And he like, is turning into like golden age Superman as he regresses essentially where he can like, he can't fly, but he can jump really far and he can maybe still do his, his future ESP super ESP powers when he needs to. It's it's just very fun. It's good. It's very good. Yeah. That, that part's funny. He's got all these different powers and like sometimes some of them works and it seems to be just like conveniently when he needs them to for sure. But but yeah, even that's like very comic booky and fun. Um, out of these, I think the Superboy issue is easily my favorite. Uh, yeah, same. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it it dares to dream in a way that so many of these tie-ins just don't. Um, anything else about the Superman-related ones? Okay, let's we'll move on to the Batman ones. Uh, we got Shadow of the Bat, written by Alan Grant, art from Mark Buckingham. We've got Nightwing by uh, Chuck Dixon and Scott McDaniel, and we've got Detective by Chuck Dixon and Greg Land. Ooh, Greg Land. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk about Greg. This is a very different Greg Land. Um, but anyway, uh, Zach, you alluded to the. I, I assume it was the Shadow of the Bat one that you thought was one of the worst. Is that the origin for this Batman? 
Yeah, with with Zauron. Zauron, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, easily the worst, I think. I think it's easily the worst tie-in too. Brian, you wanna? Yeah, you wanna I, join I, us I don't on disagree this with that. I still don't think it's a it's like a straight up clunker or anything. Uh, parts of it are parts of it are good, but I think that that's. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that that origin falls flat for me, and is and is really unneeded uh, when you compare it to the other tie-ins. Yeah, what, um, what, what I think it was trying to do is, you know, because um, the, the Superman issues do this a little bit too, which is that it's trying to give you a chance to have, an, have a connection to these future characters without just having a connection because it's the future Superman or because mm-hmm. it's the future Batman. So it's trying to give you, it's trying to ground those stories a little bit into something that you can follow a little bit more easily and that you yeah. have reason to care about these characters. I don't know if you need those, but I understand the sort of desire from the editorial perspective to make that to make that case that you should be doing that. So I, I don't think they're bad. I just think that that it's um you know it's probably unnecessary. And I think it also pales in comparison to the best tie-ins we see. And we see a lot of really good tie-ins. You know, eventually. Yeah. So maybe that's why, too. Right. And I think, like, I think the thing that that writers in con- and Alan Grant is a very reliable bat writer. I'm not I'm not shitting on his uh, the history of his Batman work at all. I just don't think this issue is very good. But um, uh, I think the problem that some writers get into is that, like, they think, like, Okay, how how do we get you to relate or care about this character? We're going to give you the origin. When the reality is is that I care more about this Batman because I saw him do a a telepathic kick to the original Batman and put his soul in a jar. I care more about him because of that than I do about any origin, bo- any boring ass origin you can give me for him. Yes, of course. You know what I mean? Like yes, that doesn't tell me anything about who he is as a character really. But I care more about I'm more interested in him as a character because of the interesting thing Morrison made him do than this dry backstory that we get for him. And I think writers need to realize that backstory or origin or exposition is not automatically the answer to getting us to care about a character or to empathize with them. Um, so, so that's the one thing that this issue does wrong, I think, but, but otherwise it's a pretty fairly straightforward, fine. I I don't think it's bad. I just think compared to the rest, it's such a routine. This is, this is a routine tie in issue in any event. Um, anything else you guys want to say about this issue? Zach, you want to go off on it at all? No, I, I, I really, the the Batman issues I think felt the most slight of all the tie-ins. They're they're pretty sparse. Not not a lot happens o- overall. I think compared to the Superman issues, which actually feel very fun and dense and creative. These are kind of bog standard. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. the The two Dixon issues are a little better than the Shadow of the Bat one. Um, first is the Nightwing, which I really like Scott McDaniel's art. 
Um, it's very I mean, playful. I, and... I just think it's important to say with the Dixon stuff is that when you agree with somebody, somebody's politics so strongly, it's easier to uh... <laughs> shut the fuck, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't couldn't resist that opportunity. Sorry. God. <laughs> Listen, just because I'm a big Q head too, it doesn't exactly. Mean that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. Um, no, I just think I just think I think what helped was I just read this clunky Shadow of the Bat issue that I didn't like too much, and then I read these really sleek. And you're right, they're slight, Zach. They don't do a whole lot, but then they're refreshing after you come off this uh, narration heavy kind of dry issue. Yeah, I I just liked watching Dick and and the new Batman flip around, right? Yeah, yeah, and they. they uh, Dixon is Dixon is is you know the Nightwing writer of the '90s. He did mm-hmm. the majority of the stuff. He really knows the character, and Dixon's writing of Nightwing, I think, is why he is still loved to this day, because Dixon is the one who made him the sort of cornerstone of the DC universe that we all talk about. Like, and I actually wrote in my notes. Uh, Dan DiDio would hate this because th- there there's a lot of talk in this about just how how respected even in the future you know Nightwing is and a lot of that happens in in Dixon's run so I think that a big part of why maybe your your re- this resonates so much with you is just because th- this is a man in his element at this time yeah it's uh it's also fun because it's this is like in the post uh um not it's not cataclysm is it it's no man's land this is like in the no man's land uh status quo with the Mm -hmm. earthquake Mm -hmm. yeah because the the bat cave is all well we'll see that more in the next issue but the bat cave is in ruins yeah 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 um the one major thing I really liked about this issue was they do the they do the hero versus hero uh, fight when hero when two heroes first meet, mm-hmm. and and that that's something like Chuck Dixon is by no means the only uh, writer to ever hang a lampshade on that, but I love that the the future Batman is like well that's just that's that's the custom of the times right like yeah yeah do just... do as the Romans do yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought that was a, that was a clever way to get around that. Uh, moving over to the detective one that now they're in the bat cave, uh, because this is where the future Batman is going to get, you know, whatever, uh, tech he needs to help build Solaris. So, um, meanwhile, there's a breakout at Blackgate, uh, Firefly is terrorizing Gotham currently, um, and as as Zach had mentioned, uh, this is post uh, earthquake, so so the Batcave is in ruins, and yeah, it's a, kind of a sorry state of affairs right now. Alfred's got a lot of cleaning to do. Um, this was the one with art by Greg Land, and I have to say, because he's not tracing the tracing porn pornography yeah. in this. This is actually pretty good. I was surprised. There, there is one amazing Tim Nutface in this issue. <laughs> but aside from that, I agree with you. It's a, it's a pretty well drawn issue. Yeah, 
like compare this to his 2000s X-Men work and it's like how is this even the same guy? This is before he got lazy. I guess, but like even oh man. The dude had real talent. Um, unless this is unless this is uh you know, unless he Don Drapered somebody named Greg Land. <laughs> I suppose that's parody, parody. I'm not a, not accusing anyone of anything. <laughs> This show gets shut down because Greg Land sues you over a Mad Men joke. <laughs> and not even our best Mad Men joke. We've had no, much better Mad Men even. jokes than these. Yeah. Um, oh, man. But yeah, the, All right, the, if Greg Land is Don Draper, then... <laughs> no. uh, I'm not playing this game. That's too cursed. Um, Duck Dixon but, is Duck Phillips. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, but the... Um, these issues, I think you guys use the correct word in saying slight, you know, for them. But nothing in these issues is offensive or or legitimately bad. I think that these tie-ins are already shaping up to be sort of, you know, this event's tie-ins are shaping up to be remarkably good compared to what we oftentimes get with, with event tie-ins. Yes. Yes, I'm I'm thrilled to read these compared to some of our prior events where like there was no way I was going to touch the the tie-ins for, you know. Um Genesis. <laughs> Thanks for really spelling that out there, Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay, Impulse is next, uh written by William Messner Lobes and art from Craig Rousseau. Um this one Basically, Bart has to team up with John Fox to rescue Jesse Quick from because she's stuck in one of the red the rocket red weapons. Um, so they team up to try to get her out of that. And there's a the weird bit in the second half of the issue where um, John Fox hooks Bart up to. <laughs> 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 Up to uh, like basically, uh, L- it, it's, it's like, basically it's, LTE internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's five G. He got coronavirus from it. Oh, it's five G. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. Um, and basically, like, it's funny because it's it's supposed to be giving Bart a vision of what the eight hundred and fifty third century looks like, but they're not really there. They just think they're there. The the like the the Nelnet makes them think that. It's an extremely and it's because, confusing. And it's because uh, he was raised in a virtual environment that this reaction is happening. Yeah. And like even though Fox tells him that you're not really there, he still continues to speak as if he, they are really there. And they say like, "Well, let's just pull Jesse Quick into the future." And it's like he just told you you're not really in the future, you know. But um anyway, they they end up linking Jesse in there too and coaxing her to somehow defuse the bomb and get her out of the rocket red suit and that's basically how this one goes so um anything you guys want to say about this one in particular i i thought this was good fine um to me this was fun but i thought that the whole 
seeing the future, all of that could have been explained so much better. Yeah. And it, it, it is just, it's not that you're confused as to what's happening, but you're sort of confused as to why it's happening, why it's being presented the way it is. And I think it makes mm-hmm. it for a distracting read. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I think they're so caught up in this clunky explanation of it that it's yeah. Um, the art also isn't my favorite. It's a little too cartoony, but also lumpy for me. Um, it's almost what Scott McDaniel does, but but. But McDaniel's art is is tighter than this, I think. Um, this kind of feels off model sometimes. Um, but it's not bad. I think this is you know bottom middle tier in these tie-ins so far, and yeah. that's still that's still pretty good compared to most things. Yeah. Yeah. But now we're gonna get to the really good stuff. Yeah. Should we get? Should we just get to the Gabagool? Yeah. All right. Starman. Written by James Robinson. Art by Peter. Help me out here. Schneeberg. Schneeberg? Yes. All right. Um, Fucking incredible. This, I'm sorry. This issue's really good, you it's guys. It's so good. So, so this is the real James Robinson. Then. This is the real James Robinson. Yes. <laughs> when you guys hear me on this show talk about how I would give either of my children's college funds to James Robinson if he asked for it. <laughs> this this is why, okay? Careful, man, because he might. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Parody, parody. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is James Robinson. First of all, like this is the first tie-in that I feel you really get a sense of who the future character is without there being so like there's a little bit of exposition here but it's it's done through a really natural conversation between Ted Knight and and the future Starman and you get you you have like three different opinions of him as the issue goes on you're not just being introduced to this character of this is the new X character you see him as a hero then you see him as a villain then you see him as something maybe in between it's just so well parceled out Every page has a new revelation. I, I was telling, I, I think I was telling this to Vince when Zach was out before. Like, I don't think about Ted Knight in Starman that much, but it, the way he writes Ted Knight is so good. Mm-hmm. And Schneeberg's art is fucking beautiful in this issue. Just, it, it's, the, it's the prettiest issue of the whole bunch. Man, I love this issue. It's great. And you don't. It's really good. And it's. It's pretty integral to the story too. Yes. Yeah, it's integral to the story because it it um what the night fragment is that what it's called? Yes. The night mm-hmm. fragment which which Vandal Savage has already alluded to um plays a big role and clearly it's important with the way that it's treated in this issue. Um and it it tie it'll tie back in at the end of the JLA issue that we're going to close out the show with. But it'll also tie back into the end of the event in general. It's a sure, really yeah. it's a really important piece of the story. Okay. Yeah. The other great thing about it is that you know, as somebody who hasn't read Starman, um, you you don't you don't need to have read Starman for this. And I fe- I feel like you get here's the thing. 
I haven't read Starman, but when I read this issue, this issue enough is enough for me to understand why Starman is good. Because <laughs> when when really like when 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 you talk about like the family or the 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 family aspects of Starman or the idea of the mantle being passed from character to character that all plays a role here and it's so elegant and it's so powerful in just a few pages that i can only imagine what's accomplished over an entire series vince you, you gotta know? read starman you're reading I'm a thousand gonna... garbage comics read starman <laughs> man i gotta i gotta read the garbage first <laughs> no i will i'll get there i'll get there but um but i'm you know you know what i'm saying like yes yes you get a perfect sense for what not even having read that series for for a major theme of that series and what it's trying to accomplish. And and I didn't have to have read all I had to all I had to know was who Ted Knight is and who Jack Knight is. And I know that just based on like absorbing DC from, sure. you know, as as a fan. Yeah. Um what I also think is so well constructed about this issue is that the beginning of the issue you see Starman A as as Vince has been calling him you'll see him telling Ted Knight oh like you're considered one of the scientific greats you know in the future and by the end of the issue you're doubting if any of that's true like mm-hmm. the the character is, is an un, he's an unreliable narrator so you don't know if what he's telling Ted is correct or not and so the entire issue is kind of shrouded in mystery as you get to the end of it, um, in a really satisfying way. Like not not in a frustrating everything's left open ended way, but just that there are multiple ways to read their conversations. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I think it's clear that that back then Robinson was so dialed into the character work here that like he could do stuff like that and it would feel really authentic. And like, and he also thought about the characters so intimately that like, if it is true, it makes perfect sense that like this guy that we know as a superhero in the current era, you know, millennia later would be known for something else because of the true, because of the, because of the, the true importance of the work that he specifically was doing, you know, it's, it's and i'm not i'm not sure i like i haven't read enough robinson from the past but i i just know from reading his more modern stuff that his his stuff from the 90s was just so much better he was just a complete he he just thought about these characters and comics and and things in a completely different way you know mhm um, I read I've read his Golden Age miniseries, and that too is really great work. You know, um, it's just him writing on a completely different level from modern Robinson. Yeah, and I, I know I already mentioned how good the art is, but man, the art is really good in this issue. Yeah. I should say it again. Yeah, uh, the the sequence at the end when when. Ted is trying to convince uh, Ferris to to do the right thing by basically telling him he basically does the Robin Williams. It's not your fault. Yep. 
thing from uh, Good Will Hunting. Good yeah. Hunting. The, the art there, though, is so powerful because it's they have a couple pages where it's wordless. Mm-hmm. But you get it all. You get you know exactly what Ferris Knight is thinking, you know. I also think, or, may, that, or maybe not exactly what he's thinking, but like the thought process he's going through. Right. I also think that the the costume design for Ferris Knight is the best of the one million characters. I mm-hmm. love I love that that costume design. Ten out of ten. Yeah, ten out of ten for sure. This issue is a ten out of ten. Yes. Zach, you got anything else? No. Yeah, but I I mean I agree. It's really good. The the issue itself as like a standalone Starman issue is good. It's good within the context of the event. It's well written. The art is great. Um I, I would say it's maybe the best tie in, but the next one's gonna give it a run for its money. The one last thing I'm gonna say too is that I feel like some of these tie ins, like if you read like Vince, you read all of tech, right? But yeah. you don't you don't I don't think this issue of tech informs the detective comics oeuvre very much no this issue of starman is very important to the starman story mm. and so i feel like that's it also that's also something else going in its favor is it doesn't just manage to be a good tie-in it really changes the tone of the series in a couple of ways interesting yeah i'll have to read that someday yeah yeah you do five ten years from now <laughs> <laughs> I'll like pay you or something, man. Uh, you got to read this comic. <laughs> so send me back my Twin Peaks shirt, and then maybe I will. Deal. Deal. <laughs> All right, JLA. Okay. It's JLA. One twelve thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, sorry, That's sorry, right. guys. Uh, written by Grant Morrison, art by Howard Porter. This is the last book we're going to talk about this week. Um, I mean, this issue is basically just. Uh, one big brawl between the remaining members of the JLA in the current timeline and the justice Legion, um, up to the point where they decide they're going to work together kind of to, to build, rebuild Solaris. Um, this is used bonkers. You guys, is there anything I kind of want you guys to just go off on this? Is there any particular aspect of this? issue that you liked i mean it's basically it's it's okay one thing i want to start with before before you guys say anything is this issue has such a weird structure to it it's got the little thing at the bottom of each page that says turn the page or, love or page turns it. love it which is not in any of these other issues <laughs> or, or like in his justice league at all <laughs> yeah yeah this has the most like character box like uh character introduction boxes of any issue i've ever read <laughs> that wasn't a legion of superheroes issue mm-hmm. but, but I, I, all, love I love that i love the, all the little Same. facts yep. and things yeah it's good yes because they're actually interesting they're not just there to fill space or to mm-hmm. like they are there to, to to get ideas across and then there's there's a couple other like just structural or comic booky artistic flourishes to this thing like how they keep track of like like at one point it says like Justice Legion one JLA zero <laughs> or something yeah it's, it's like working in the it's like working in the Hickman data pages into the story yes yes 
Yes, that's so good. All right, go off on this. What else? What else do you want to talk about on this one? Well, I I, I want to say that I feel like in a lot of ways, this should have been DC DC one million number three. Yeah, because I can't imagine reading this series without this issue. Yeah, well, I think you know DC does this thing from time to time where it's like it's just understood that if you're reading an event, you also should read the issues written by the writer of the event. Right. You know, I just kind of feel like that that's an unspoken rule of these things at this point. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. I, I guess like, I mean, this is fantastic. I don't have like a ton to say about it other than I just really like how since the main JLA, team is away in the future which as an aside i think it's really interesting that we've gone a third of the way through the series and haven't dealt with them in the future at all which i assume will happen eventually but it's just uh kind of subverts my expectations a little bit um but i just love that kind of like the newer characters and kind of like the i don't want to say like lesser team you know, the non big seven Justice League characters get to like have the focus here and go up against the, the Justice Legion. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, and hold hold their own. And the, the pairings are fun too, you know. The future yeah. future Wonder Woman versus Barda. That's really good. Yeah. I love how um Zariel like swims through the 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 water that's coursing through the the, the watchtower and mm-hmm. Ends up on the other other side, like uh, surprising. I, I think it was the Aquaman character. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and the way that Howard Porter keeps track of all that visually, it's really underrated. Like, you you pretty much know where everybody is in the Watchtower at any one time. The fights all make sense in space. It's it, it feels like a like an actual designed space that Howard's working in versus just throwing a couple different fight scenes on the page and, and letting that go, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he really does some great work with the scenery and the, and the everybody's location. When I think of the watchtower, I think of it looking like this. Yeah. Um, and I also want to say, I really liked how Morrison didn't just make each character and this is like Morrison's a great writer, so I wouldn't expect him to do it. But when you have a cast this big in an issue, and also a cast that is this this new to working together, it can be easy to reduce everyone to a one note thing. And the only character that gets that way is Plastic Man. Is sort of just he's Plastic Man, right? He's he's not really taken that seriously. But like Steel in the one million issues wants to leave because he wants to be with his family but by the time we get to him here he has more resolve and he's he's working both as like a the leader of the team because as it said here he's wearing the s but also as the technology portion of the team like everybody is really well drawn here from from different perspectives and you feel even with the new characters like they are fully fleshed out characters Mm -hmm. and that's hard to do in limited page count and Morris and, and Porter do a really nice job of that here. Yeah. Well said. 
All right, so do we want to talk about the end of the issue then? Go for it. All right, so everybody's fighting. There's one member of the Justice Legion that's conspicuously missing, though. And it's Ferris Knight. And he shows up kind of like, you know, no one's going to suspect a thing. But Batman immediately turns and accuses him of betraying the Legion and demanding to know what the Knight Fragment is. And... I love that as a way for us to end here because I don't know what's going to happen next. And I don't know like what the hell the night fragment is either. And so I think, I think we picked a good issue to end on, but that's a hell of a moment because my expectations as a reader were, was that the Starman stuff was going to get dragged out a little more, but all of a sudden here he is, you know, the first time he shows up again, he's immediately accused. So I, I really like Starman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you guys got anything you want to say about that? I'm trying not to say too much because I've read this before. Well, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I, I think this leaves off in a very. I, I think we picked a good issue to end on. This ends on a, a very interesting and exciting cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we're doing this whole thing, guys. I I wouldn't have wanted to read just the just the main event. Yeah. Although I have to say, like we have we've now read a fair amount. Of, we've read a third of the tie-ins, essentially, right? And the only two tie-ins that we feel like would have been essential are in the trade, which is Starman and JLA. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm not saying that's a reason to not read the tie-ins. I'm just saying that we probably could have been okay just reading the trade, sure, to get the main story. Yeah. But I, I'm very happy we're doing this as well. And uh, thank you, Vince, for leading us through this first part tonight. Yeah, Zach, you're up for next time, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we will be reading for those who want to read along with us next week. We are reading DC One Million Number Three: Batman, Catwoman, Robin. Young Justice, Green Arrow, Legionnaires, Azrael, Chase, Creeper, Wonder Woman, Power of Shazam, and The Flash. Mm-hmm. You must be happy, Zach, because there's two different Legion tie-ins. There's Legion and Legionnaires. It'll be good. Yeah. All right. And until until next time, of course, if you have to get in touch with us, you can find two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. And I am at Wilker Fox. If you need Vince, he is chained to his desk. I have sent all six Starman Omnibi to him, and he is not allowed up until he has read all of them. Did you send my shirt, though? I did. It's included in the package. <laughs> I, I used it as a rag. You can just you can determine what kind of rag it is if you like. Oh, uh, Christ. Is clean am up I going to need a black light? No, it's oh, not yeah, a spill. Sure. Okay. A spill yeah. of what? To be determined. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Lois, this is worse than that time I got Jokerfied. <laughs>